You're listening to a special edition of the Roundtable Podcast, the NaNoWriMo Project Part 4 of 4. As Jared Axelrod and I conclude our discussion with our panel of NaNoWriMo participants, John Miro, Veronica Giger, Christopher Morse, and Starla Hutchton. All right, Mr. Miro. Sir. John, you've done NaNoWriMo before? I've done it uh, twice. Once successfully, which was the initial draft. And once a, an abject, horrible fireball in the sky failure. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, share with us what wisdom you gleaned from these, these two diametrically opposed uh, NaNoWriMo experiences. Sure. Uh, first thing I wanted to put is like a, a PSA. Um, if everybody's... Uh, Maybe this is some of your listeners' first time listening to NaNoWriMo. NaNoWriMo uh, is a great, amazing tool. It's like uh, the most popular charity in, in your uh, charity, uh, most popular event of the year. But if you want to be a full-time, even a full-time hobbyist writer, it's important to use this fuel throughout the rest of the year to keep writing. Um, this is a Excellent. tremendous opportunity to dip your toe, but uh, don't stop swimming the rest of the year. Here, uh, here. Excellent. Yes, seconded, thirded, and fourthed. What I learned from my first NaNoWriMo was uh, beg, borrow, and steal. And don't fall for the trap of people thinking, you only have to write this much a day. No, you have to write three times that much every day you can. um, (laughs) Because it's going to happen. Life is going to get in the way. You need to go to the dentist's office. You need to work late for the boss. You catch that flu or, you know, free trip to Las Vegas in the middle of the month. Something's going to take you down. So bank what you can. Don't be insane about it. Don't go Howard Hughes, but bank what you can. (laughs) Don't go Howard Hughes. There we go. Bank what you can. Don't go Howard Hughes. Got it. Yeah. Aim so for a the... lull and be happy with what you get. <laughs> <laughs> if, if there we go. If you're peeing in milk jugs to stay near the keyboard, maybe you're working too hard. <laughs> but it's important to bank as much as you can. And the other thing I've learned is don't be afraid of typing with your thumbs. I wrote a third of the first draft of Enemy Lines on a keyboard of either a very, very small ultra, whatever they now call netbooks, make them look huge, the first generation of those, or uh, on my phone. And it can, it can work if, if, yeah, for I've some done people. i that myself. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. It goes right in there with get it when you can. That's awesome. So, John, you got a story for us? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I got a story for you. Okay. So, um, as everybody here may or may not know, I've already got three other stories that are in various stages of being done or being copy edited or being put into ebook forms. And the rules of Nano is something new. So, I'm starting another universe. Uh, <laughs> awesome. Okay. So, this is uh, my idea of a fun universe something light, something like space opera, uh, something humorous, but with an undertone that could be arkish or mysterious and bring you somewhere in the end. Um, what happens when an intergalactic art and data thief becomes a space station's last best hope for law and order? That's the <laughs> beginning of the line. And this, I'll completely cop to this right now. I was sitting with my wife on the couch watching two TV shows one night. The first one was on Amazon Prime. It's called Foil's War, which is an epic 1940s World War II British period piece about an an older cop who's ready to retire, but every able-bodied man in his nation is on another continent fighting Nazis. 
And so, well, okay, I've got one-legged sergeant myself and a lady from the Women's Artillery Corps, and we now have to defend one-third of England ourselves. This is going to be fun. Uh, (laughs) The next thing I watched was a USA Network show called White Collar, which is about a dashing con man and his nut conspiracy wacko partner and uh, very upper crust, stiff, honest, above board, white bread FBI agent. And I said, okay, those two have to somehow fit together. (laughs) You said that, did you? Yes, I did. My wife said, shut up, I'm watching TV. (laughs) So, um, a lawman for corporate security on a space station in a small, one mining planet kind of place, an insignificant star system, just barely manages by fluke in the betrayal of a comrade on his job, or rather, sorry, a con man is caught by a lawman in this space station near a planet that has, you know, it's a mining planet. There's nothing else in the station that matters except for the station itself. It's a way station. It's got one of those wonderful MacGuffins of science fiction, a gateway, a hyperactive, uh, hyperspace gateway where you can travel from space station to space station. That's my way around conservation of energy is that you actually have to have a unit built and they can shoot ships through to the next part of the highway, so to speak. But this con man is caught by this upper class guy, simply cop gut saw his name on a manifest and said, I'm going to follow this guy. It doesn't feel right. So uh, this con man has an inboard artificial intelligence. These are pretty much illegal unless you're a military or a corporate citizen. Um, and it's, it's a very, very sophisticated AI. Of course, it's got some weird comedic relief patterns built into it, some conspiracy nut character to it as a nod to white collar and a little comedic relief. But it's, it's also modded to military black ops specs. It's very helpful when you want to steal things. Um, and uh, this AI and this uh, con man is about to steal an art treasure from the administrator, this corporate administrator, this corporate-run station. There is an interstellar government, but it's very weak tea. Really, the people that run the place are the people that hold the purchase. So how do you steal something from a person, even if you've got the keys to the kingdom? Well, you seduce the daughter, like any good con man does. So um, the lawman's following this con man, trying to figure out how he can catch him doing something wrong because he's sure it's coming all in the back there's weird chatter about uh, people that are you know, stepping up their defenses all over of course another war is coming like always whatever business um then of course they catch this guy trying to steal his stuff and he's the administrator of the station is really embarrassed that well his daughter was in bed with the con man whose name is mallory and uh because mallory has to let it slip in front of the the, the police system that well this art object isn't it illegal so it has to be admin loses, but he seems distracted despite the fact his daughter's just been bedded in one of his great treasures is lost. So he's trying to figure out why. And he says, well, my gut's acting up again. But all he can do is take this con man named Mallory back to his cell and lock him in it. And he also puts up a, a magnetic field of some kind that will protect the AI from getting out. Because he's, even though the details, he knows he's got some sort of sentient computer working for him. This is the setup to get these two together in the very beginning of an intergalactic war. Uh, Nobody saw this coming, the scale of it, but uh, one day, literally in the middle of a night shift, the corporation locks down the station. Everything that is computer controlled is locked down, and all the rich people start getting on ships and getting the hell out. They almost all get away before computer systems intergalactically are all damaged by like multiple waves of cyber attacks that are being transmitted through these gateway stations that ships can use as a sort of highway. And that's the reason the space station is here as a conduit for mining, but also as like 
one more part of the turnpike. Other than that, it's inconsequential. Um, no, what we have is everything on this station is going to hell. All the stations are being locked down by the corporate computers, and all the corporate rats are sinking away from the ship. Um, and we have one cop that stays behind because he's got a sense of honor. And a whole bunch of civilians, but they're all locked down in their own, their own sections, and he's got to try to figure out how to bring some order to this, and he doesn't know if there's warships coming. Um, so finally he says, look, I'm kind of screwed. I can't even open the doors to this section to check on people in the living sections because it's a very large station and they're in the security section. And then in the middle they have the where the people live, where the people do business, the docks. And on the other side they have all the corporate stuff like uh, where the computers that control all the doors that are locked are located. What they decide is that they're going to work together, this lawman and this con man Mallory. Um, because... Once the uh, magnetic shields fail because all the corporate computers have locked everything down, they realize that these waves is basically a dial of service attack galactic-wide, and all the corporate computers are going <laughs> down now, too. And so the only AI that can really function as a, like a supercomputer lockpick is the conmans. So the, the lawman and the conman have to make a deal. The lawman being who he is, he injects some kind of radioactive dye or nano, some kind of MacGuffin that basically ties him to the station. If he tries to leave, the AI will die, the guy's head will explode, or he'll get warts, something. <laughs> um, but uh, So they have to quell some riots that are going on. News is coming that things are going bad. We have people breaking into stores and hoarding material. Um, uh, trying to, you know, gangs that have been, like, stealing things from people for ages are now fighting each other in the open. The docks are shut down, and you've got all the labor ship, uh, the union dock workers thinking, well, we can't let these ships crash, but they're all stealing with all the goods. Who knows the next time we're going to get a supply run if we're really cut off? So they manually lock everything down so no ship can go anywhere. You know, all the security overrides are triggered. No ship's going anywhere. At this uh, very time, though, the, the second to last of the corporate ships has escaped through our intergalactic highway trick through space and time. But the very last one turns away just before the whole thing shuts down. So there's one corporate ship. Oh, stuck. All right, well, let's go back and pillage the station some more. Um, but, of course, the people on the station are suddenly realizing, well, they left us to die, and now they're coming back. So the lawman and the conman decide what they have to do is they have to get back to security, to get from their security section of this space station, the corporate admin where the, all the computers are, so they can keep these uh, corporate guys out because they're just going to take over and they're not until this time because they've got the guns, they think they're better than everybody, and everybody pretty much that there'll be boot heels involved if this happens. Um, so, in addition to the advanced controls and computer access being offline, all the elevators and trains, they have to hoof it and get a nice little, little pastoral view of all the people doing bad things to everybody as they try to cross the station. Uh, insert witty banter here and feeling out the lawman and the conman characters who are both strong in conscience, but one never had a voice in his run and sees only the wrongness of big government and big corporations. That's Mallory, the conman. So um, they're trying to figure each other out. A mini buddy movie in the middle of this story. They face some hoarders or other silliness that both hinders them and hurts some of the uh, people that are trapped while uh, people strong arm to steal water or take possessions or uh, more nefarious crimes are committed. And the lawman at one point that he catches somebody taking advantage of a man and his daughter, but he can't do anything about it. So, no, but what the con man decides to do is that uh, 
he convinces them to uh, return. Uh, basically, this the purpose of the scene is to show they're both good people, which might have been up in doubt beforehand. So now they've got uh, a couple extra people. He's a doctor. So, wow, okay, now we've got a doctor on the space station and uh, the doctor's daughter, which inserts, you know, don't sleep with my daughter. Don't you sleep with my daughter. <laughs> um, the next station, the next section of the station, they're stuck anymore, but they managed to convince one of the two sides to uh, stop the gang war. Of course, you know, then somebody decides the leader's being weak, so they have a fight. But the leader of this gang and a few of his top lieutenants decide to come with our cop and with our con man and with our doctor. We're getting a nice little group. You see, we're forming a nexus for where things can go once things stabilize. Um, so carrying on, this corporate ship is hailing the dock, and the lawman and the con man are listening in thanks to our crazy AI friend, the only one that's functioning on the station completely after these cyber attacks, and um, saying, let us in, or we're just going to beat the crap out of this, poke holes in the station, you'll all lose your air and you'll all die. And the con man says, no, it's a con, they've got nowhere to go. So they're determined to stop them the only way they can. It's a corporate ship, so they still have the physical keys, even if the computers are all screwed up. So they've got to get to the computers and shut the last places that these, this corporate ship could, uh, could, could dock and get their uh, marines and their you know, okay. jerks on board. What's, what's the end game, John? The end game going forward here is, well, we're almost there. Um, <laughs> Hey, hey, I I listened. I listened to some crazy stuff here. Um, <laughs> mostly from you, Dave. No, you're, still... know, you're right. Yeah, yeah, I know. Shut up, Dave. All right, carry on. <laughs> the law and the con man they find a cruise ship, and uh, the law, uh, the con man thinks about getting away, but decides he's got to do the right thing and help everybody. And they also find the administrator that he tried to steal the artwork from, and the doctor that hate, uh, the daughter that hates him after he slept with him stuck on the ship because they tried to get away and they got locked down there. So now. Uh, we have a doctor, we have the guy that thinks he really owns the place, we have the daughter that hates his gut, we have another daughter that thinks that this con man is really cute, so we got the sexual tri trio going on there later on. Um, and they're all going to find a way to get the uh, corporate ship locked off course. They're not going to be able to talk. Um, when it comes down to it, they all decide that they're going to run the station together. Um, you've got like a, a physicist guy, a corporate douche that doesn't have a conscience, gang leaders, a couple of the dock workers from the union that were trying to make sure people couldn't steal all the supplies in air and get back to the planet down below. Um, and not to mention the AI, the only functioning AI on the space station who can pull all the levers behind the magic curtain. So now they're just going to roll with it and they're going to try to con that corporate ship off there into not attacking them until they can decide how to keep things running. No supplies, no uh, reinforcements coming, no idea who's fighting who, who's winning who. So society basically is some miners on that dirt ball down below the space station and a big corporate ship that wants to blow them out of the sky. And that's the end, the standoff that takes us to the end of the first adventure. Oh, yeah, very light and airy. Yeah, very light, <laughs> very light. Yeah, I'm, I'm starting to think we should have let off with you, John. Definitely, definitely. <laughs> Um, <laughs> wow. Holy crap. Uh, uh, see, it's not steampunk. Sorry. <laughs> uh, Jared to you, sir, for first thoughts and okay. I'm going to give you two questions just cause you'll probably need them, but go. <laughs> yes, two. Awesome. Uh, <laughs> I, I like, I like the setting like, um, Chris's and Starla's. You have a very clear space to explore, um, which is great. And that's going to be a lot of fun for you to 
and for anyone who reads it after you're done, because that's that's a really nice kind of. Are uh, gonna read this? Yes. If you like, uh, <laughs> it's a nice hermetic space where you can have your characters interact and bounce around each other, and you can explore new avenues. And I like that. Um, one question is: Is the protagonist Mallory, the con man, or is the protagonist the the cop? Well, I, I figure it's going to be, they're going to be the best friends in their struggle. They're like, do we do things by the book or do we risk people's lives to get the good result? Do we, do we take crazy chances or, or can we succeed only going by the book when the people that were running the show might want to kill us? That's one, one of these critical struggles. And both sides are going to be right sometimes. And I'm planning right. to be very serial. So it's, it's, it's like a two-man lead. Yeah, but whose journey is it? It's Mallory. It, it it's Mallory. So he's the protagonist. He's the one who has the arc, and yeah. uh, the cop is more or less unchanged by the end. That's that's cool because uh, he's a much more interesting protagonist. So I'm glad you chose him. <laughs> <laughs> Always go with the for, the, <laughs> for the for the second question. Since I get two, uh, <laughs> I am curious as to what you mean by lockdown because you imply that everyone is. And my vision of lockdown is like in a prison where everyone is trapped in their homes or cubicles or whatever is on the space station. But you also seem to imply there is crime going on while people are locked down. Um, so I'm a little confused as to how this happens. Like I understand that you want to have anarchy on the station, and, and that makes a lot of sense. But the, the lockdown city. element is strange. Okay, it's it's uh, it's a city, um, but it's a city with very much Cold War style, big concrete gates everywhere. If you want to think of it that way, the reality is it's 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 like uh, a spaceship or a submarine where there are solid doors, and if there's fire alarms or if there's security alarms, those doors can be shut by a central con- computer. It's um, Deep Space Nine. It's Deep Space Nine. There you go. So it's, deep- it's more a lockdown by section than by individual. Dumb no, style. when 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 the landlords left, they said, "Fuck y'all! I'm locking y'all down so you can't stop me, and nobody can get out anywhere." But like any large city, you're going to have uh, maybe some of the lesser powerful members of the ruling class. You're going to have some criminals, and you're going to have some people that worked on the docks that all got to settle in torches, spacesuits, and know how not to blow themselves up and get to each other. Some of them are doing it because they want to kill each other. This is my chance to get those black and red colored wearing gang on the other side of the street. Or, or maybe I need to get to this other area because I need some of the stuff they have so this ship doesn't blow up because I can't get it to leave because I cannot yet undo the physical lock that is holding it down to my deck. So all this happens overnight? Oh, this happens literally in the middle of the night shift. They're like, we got like 20 minutes advance warning that everything's going to hell. Right. Well, I get why everyone leaves, but it's, it's everything going to hell so quickly on no. this lockdown no. thing. The, 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 it's a little unusual. What's gonna I mean, I, if, I can, if I can interject a what if already, <laughs> is that all this is going crazy um, before the con man even shows up. And the that he comes in when this, when this is already, like maybe he thinks that this space station is a, is a good hideout because it's out of the middle of nowhere. And then he happens to look onto this place that is in chaos. This is going to be a place that is going to be kept together because people work together, but uh, very easily could become a powder keg or quickly just 
combust. He would never in a million years want to come here because he's a very much about saving his own skin kind of guy. Well, I know he wouldn't want to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so let's let's move on. Veronica, first thoughts and a question or two. My first thought is it sounds very complex and involved, and I'd probably be able to read it better than hear it. Oh, yes. Uh, <laughs> but that's just me. Um, I love the idea of a conspiracy theory obsessed AI. <laughs> yes. And I wonder if that couldn't play into um, either foreshadowing or just being able to play off um, Mallory with the, yeah, we're going to stop this station. No, I really don't think you should because based on these trends and, you know, these yeah. patterns, I think, no, <laughs> I know better than you. No, really. So that's it. We're docking here from Told you so. Shut yeah. yeah, there's going to be a lot of that, actually. Even during the heist that gets him caught, he's going to have the, uh, the AI in his area going, look, look, you need to know statistically that there should not be 16 corporate ships docked and ready to depart. And, you know, I see that the volume measure of oxygen in this station is going down a lot. Mm -hmm. Something bad is happening. Oh, yeah, you said that the last time we docked, and it was just Mardi Gras. <laughs> well, does, does the AI do this with his romantic interests as well? I mean, uh, is, is the AI hooked up to him such that there's some sort of chip or, you know, inner yeah. ear device or sub-vocalization so that it's with him all the time. He's got wetware it... that can hold it, but it can also be uploaded and it can also take advantage of communication systems and talk to other people. And sometimes the con man really wishes that he'd shut up, but he'll still say, no, I'm talking to this guy. <laughs> so, so yeah, that, I guess that was something, is, is it? Because it, it seems like such a nice tool that could be used Oh yeah, he's, he, he does it. He speaks his mind. He's not like controlled by Mallory. He's uh, there are partners, and they like working with each other. Like he could actually leave any time he wants just by uploading himself to another system. Will he? Do you ever have any plans for him to interfere on that level with um, your your lawful good character there? Uh, yeah, that's going to be a really big thing. Like, I'm in charge of this. I don't like him. Why can't I just take the air out of that room? Well, no, guess that <laughs> might start people in the next room think you're going to kill them too. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'm planning to this be very episodic. I've got about eight or nine ideas that I think of work before I have to really start wrapping things up. And I really oh, like yes. that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah I get, my only other thing is just yeah, the, the whole bit of why the station would shut down so quickly. Well, Unless there's a plague. I mean, I'm not sure why you'd be shoveling people um, off. The reason that last corporate ship turned around is because that gateway to get home shut down when all this second wave of cyber attacks happened. It doesn't work anymore. You can get radio waves through, but nothing physical. So that ship is now stranded. It was their last chance. They burned all their fuel trying to get the hell out. It's going to take them a couple of days to get back to the station and try to knock the hell out of whoever's left and take over, take all their supplies so they can hold up kill as many people as possible, worst case scenario, so that they can live it out until somebody comes back to save them. Okay. And so cool. it takes them like less than to the hell out during the night shift. They start realizing what's going on, but it takes them several days to get back to the ship because they've pretty much burned all their supplies. So During which all the anarchy and chaos yeah. unfolds. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Cool. Cool, cool. Chris, first thoughts and a question or two. I think it's a really fun world. I love the the, the character 
uh, interactions. There, there are a lot of. It actually made me think of uh, the continued Ender's Game uh, series, uh, the uh, Speaker for the Dead, where he has a AI that he sort of almost develops a romantic relationship with. Not that you should go down that route. Just saying, uh, that sort of relationship of the guy with the with the AI that sort of helps him out. Um, question is you have the interstellar war that sort of sets off the you know the shutdown and the, and the cyber attacks what what do we as the readers know about the interstellar war is it going to be information that the characters know um because that's what i'm kind of curious about and are they ever going to go there are they ever going to learn about it or is it just ah something happened and we're shut off and now we're just dealing with this and we'll deal with that if it ever comes up Dave, can you put a little beep over this part? Because I don't want to spoil the ninth story after this. <laughs> spoil it! <laughs> Do you really want me to like to stop recording or something? No, but you can put a little beep sound, stop recording. But the very quick answer is... Okay. I got cool. to deal with that. Okay. Starla, first thoughts and a question or two? Uh, I have a few little clarification things. Um, the AI, is it like a like a device strapped to him or is it like a, like an R2D2 that like walks around being sarcastic? <laughs> <laughs> he's, got, he's got wetware in his body that holds massive, massive amount of data. And it's a living program that can update itself and move to another program or virally infect another system through whatever the 91st version of Bluetooth after the one we have now is. Um, <laughs> And he can pretty much, like, take over. He's, he's a military grade, and there's backstory to how he has a military grade computer, uh, because it's pretty much illegal to have an AI above, like, kindergarten intelligence, unless you're a spy or a grader yourself. Okay. So I'm, I'm guessing this is a kind of a setup story for a bigger universe you're planning, but um, I have a very specific question regarding the ship that comes back. Mm-hmm. Um, how do they plan to defend against this? Like, essentially, what you're saying is that there's the station has zero defenses, which doesn't quite mesh with me. Like, there, there's nothing that would keep this other ship at bay. Like, yeah. no threaten, no threat of oh, we're gonna blast you into oblivion if you try to reboard. I, I just that's not really. There has to be some kind of gun or something they can reactivate, and that's their like end goal. They have to get there at the very end and try to activate this gun. Right, because this I'm not, I'm much, not seeing any. Right. any it's much more uh, like uh, Nathan Lowell's Traitor Universe. Nobody ever thought there'd be a paramilitary force. Uh, that's why the attacks to shutting down all these things and stranding people, so that politically and economically, people say, "Look, I've got all the money here. I've." you're going to starve because I've got little guns that can shoot you when you come to my building. Uh, nobody ever expected, and neither is there, even much in the way of, like, space pirates. It's pretty much operations that'll fight each other and maybe private courier ships that the really, really have. Uh, and this ship may have a rail gun or two, but they're not going to turn around and blow holes in the only the only space station, which is, it's a mud, that planet. It's a mud ball with a mine on it. So this is the only creature comfort and the only high technology we have. It's the bunker where Hitler wants to be until he can figure out how to win the war. So what's the end game? How does, how does, how does that resolve? Yeah, they what's just, the diversion? Like, the corporate- how, how, how can they guarantee that they don't, like, step off the ship and people just kill them? Well, that's the thing. They want to get back on the ship without being damaged which is, you know, they could mount a railgun because there's engineers and smart people that run the docks. Uh, 
and the ship probably has one or two simple defenses for that kind of thing as well. However, for the most part, nobody ever expected a war in space. And this is, for that matter, the only space station they have access to. Okay. Yeah, see, I, I just, I don't know if I would buy that. The whole, you know, good fences make good neighbors. Oh, it's not so much good fences make good neighbors. Is that uh, the only people that have ships are the rich. Uh, you, you live there because you're tolerated and you got there on a cruise ship or a corporate owned ship. The government is completely toothless. It's basically one game in town. Okay. All right. For, for myself, John, uh, I love white collar, have always loved white collar. <laughs> um, so, and there the notion is. of, the, yeah, the, the buddy man and the con man, the lawman and the con man, the buddy movies, <laughs> love it. This is, this is, this has, Things like Deep Space Nine. It's got things like Battlestar Galactica with the with the the, the ragtag group, and I hesitate to use that word, but isolated <laughs> and alone in the world, and they have to to look to their future, to their to their ultimate survival. I mean, th- this is rich, rich stuff. I like it. Um, I have so many questions, uh, but but my question is, what is what what is Mallory's arc if he's the protagonist? Uh, what, what is, what does he want? What is stopping him from getting it? And what revelation or discovery does he have at the end of it all, uh, that, that, that is resolved somehow with this, with the conclusion of the story? It's traditionally and pathetically simple. He's never had a family. He's never had anybody worth fighting for. And he's never had anybody that was risk going up against a system that you just can't beat. And so he's never tried, and he's always looked for the easy way out because he's fast and he's good-looking to boot, and he's always had a charismatic way to get out of a problem without either getting the boot heels himself or having to do any physical damage. But now he's in a position where he has to muster up and help put a society into some sort of order. And when he does that, you know, you have the nice little movie of the week, which girl does he choose? But also, he's going to have to help people learn to get along. And the next thing you know is a con man becomes an ambassador, becomes an adjudicator, becomes somebody that arbitrates a real peace. Okay. Okay. Cool. Very cool. All right. There's, there's, there's food on the table, friends. Who's got a what if? I do. I mine. <laughs> Chris, go ahead. Yeah, Jared, you already used yours. Go ahead, Chris. Jared, use all the what ifs. Um... What if your AI is initially damaged during the sort of cyber attacks? Not not taken out, like he's partially shielded, but not completely. I'd say he could be a she, whatever. But uh, the AI is not completely shielded from the cyber attacks. And that way you have an opportunity sort of for Mallory to show what he is capable of without the AI, and I, I would imagine you want to show him as sort of a very capable person, and then when the AI is either fixed by Mallory or fixes itself or figures a way around whatever obstructions it's in its way, they start kicking some ass together. That's nice. nice. I like that. In fact, what if, what if, what if the AI caught a piece of the, the inbound cyber attack 
and, and as you say, Chris, damaged him, but also gave him enough material that he could actually deconstruct and figure out the source of the cyber attack and maybe have something in there that they can use to, to I don't know, turn back on the gate or, or disa- you know, whatever. But there's, there's information that can be gathered, but it's got to be shut down in order to process it. I don't know. But yes, that's awesome, Chris. <laughs> I think cool. it's great, and I, I I'm firmly believe that this is a character that... God forbid people say holographic doctor, but he's somebody that I want to be uh, a confidant character, somebody who becomes very like a real person and Mm -hmm. uh, not just the secret weapon that makes them the Thunderbirds. You can't beat this spaceship. Um, No, he's he's going to lose a lot of his abilities. Um, I think that's going to be, if not immediately, very next. He'll be more or less neutered by the time things have settled down, so he can't be used as a threat, and he might even do it to himself voluntarily. Ooh, there you go. Starla, what about you? You got a what if? I do. Of course you do. <laughs> what if? Okay, I, I'm, my, my uh, feminist streak is going to come out here. <laughs> Thank you. I was going to say, I haven't heard a lot about any women in this, in this story yet. Yeah, so... I'm I'm missing the powerful female character here. So what if this uh either the father doctor person or this corporate person that he's stealing from is not actually the father but the mother and she's got some skills. Sure. The administrator can be the mother. Um, I've never had a story that didn't have a strong woman in it. Uh the interesting part is that the administrator's daughter is very capable. She's capable of leading this outpost. She's being groomed to be anything that any other man, woman, or uh, I don't know, corporate soulless douchebag can be. Um, and the uh, doctor, whether it's a, ma- a father or a, I'm just a guy, so I, you know, I say he when I describe things, and I'm guilty of that too. Um, his daughter is training to be a doctor. And so they're all very capable. And what's going to be interesting is I, I specified in my notes that there's two daughters for the admin. And there's going to be the good daughter and the bad daughter. The good daughter's going to be like, I just want to be rich and people kowtowing to me again. <laughs> uh, and she's not always going to work on the better side of the angels, helping this, this station find some balance. But yes, trust me, I think my track record proves it. If you got more I was, than not, two and I was guys, not accusing you of any <laughs> no, kind of no. misogyny or anything. I'm just... We, we didn't hear any strong women. We you were gotta just massage wondering. my knee. Hold on. <laughs> Whack. Veronica, what about you? A what if? Starla stole half of my what if. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Um, oh, what if um, one of your, I think you had mentioned at one point that one of the daughters um, was not going to like seeing Mallory again. Mm-hmm. And that there might be some skills involved. What if one of those skills involves tampering with your AI? Ooh. Now you're talking. Now that just fired off some synapses. That's beautiful. She can, <laughs> she can be in back channel communications with the corpies on the ship and say, look, just oh, take this guy out. I like it. Yes. And if, nice. I mean, if, you, if your AI really is, you know, dealing with, you know, input algorithms and proximities and possibilities if she's feeding it additional information that may or may not be true, then you've got a bushel full of red herrings. I love it. Badassery. Well, nice. I really want this character to doubt itself. I hate gods. I'm an atheist. I, maybe that's why I don't read a lot of, of, of fantasy, even though I dig it when I'm reading it. And I really wanted to get, make this character as dumb and, and freaking stupid as the rest of us. So, yes, and definitely. Thank you. <laughs> 
Jared, are you sure you don't have a what if? Well, I used it, but um, Starlin made me think of another, which is um, what if Mallory is a con woman? Sure. Then there you go. Then the the, the very straight up uh, hard edge uh, cop could uh, maybe have a really hard edge. Oh, God. Jeez. Well, I was going to say, if she's still. I was giving you a wonderful opening to review, to redeem yourself, and you just ruined it. (laughs) I'm never pitching you a softball again, John. (laughs) What did you say, Chris? Well, I was just saying she's a con woman, and she still beds the daughter. Hey. Ooh, hey. see, that's nice. racy. That's there's, edgy. There's that, or or you could have one daughter and one son, and then you've got some Brilliant. really risky you got stuff. Like a captain yeah. Jack there. That's exactly. Oh, there there's scooter syndrome in there. We need to get Nobilis Reed in on this conversation. Oh, no, right no. <laughs> Why are there tribal drums in my science fiction story? <laughs> Boom, chicka, wow, wow, baby. Mallory's uh, um, a woman. Just decided. Thank you. Love it. <laughs> Love it. Why not? Um, I have a question. Uh, the art object. Mm-hmm. What became of it? Well, that's interesting. The art object is actually like a like a display, basically showing the infinite recursions of like a really funky pipes screensaver. But it's got data buried in it. There's going to be a clue in a future story. Oh, see, now there was my what if. Okay, um, why is it illegal to have AIs? No, why is it illegal to have this art object? Uh, this art object is basically an unbirthed AI. Okay. It, it has the capacity to become self-aware, and the humans don't like things that are smarter than them, that they don't <laughs> control by being able to pull the plug out. Roger that. Roger that. Okay, um, so for my what-if, and I, 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 everybody's what-ifs have been so freaking awesome. Um, I'm digging it. Oh God, no kidding. Um, I, I just had this vision of, of, it's not necessarily a what if for the story, but a, a, a continuation of the story. I could see these guys getting the gates back up again, uh, uh, and, and, but controlling it by, and owning the gate and literally carving out a new nation in the interstellar conflict by, by controlling people's access through this very important uh, uh, junction that has no other value other than the junction itself and and evolving uh, that kind of... Uh, it's a one-off part of their culture that nobody can shake loose. They're like ticks and they're dug in and this junction, this portal warp gate that they have is, is actually ends up being fairly critical to the whole cyber network and the whole intergalactic race and these guys, these these this con man and this lawman and this Scooby gang of misfits and ne'er do wells, basically own it. Ever and, see a movie and, called The Mouse That Roared? Yes. You yes. See, what's really interesting about this unborn AI art artifact is that, <laughs> and that's how the, all the gates come back online and have democracy ah, controlling them. Okay. All right. So you're already on it. That's awesome. That's awesome. Guys, I know we've run long and I appreciate everyone's stamina, but holy crap, uh, this this has been exceptional. I think this is a four-parter. 
Oh man, <laughs> God, it might be. It might just have to be. We might just break it out into into four parts and call it good. Um, but uh, be that as it may be, my friends, uh, uh, John Miro, Christopher Morris, Veronica Jaguer, Starla Hutchinson, thank you all so much. Uh, Jared and I will be touching base with each of you. We'll be setting up times to just have very brief, I swear to God, conversations. <laughs> That'll help. Uh, uh, just t- touch base with you during NaNoWriMo, maybe at the second week and maybe just before the, the third week or whatever. Um, and, and just see how things are going. We'll, we'll put those up as well. So everyone can be tuned in on your progress. Uh, and then we'll all get together at the end and see how it all worked out. Um, but, but thank you, dear friends, uh, uh, for, for this, this marathon session of awesomeness. You guys are all great. Well, thank you. you are. Absolutely a ton of fun. Except yeah, for my it, sore knee that I'm massaging right now, it was a blast. That's Starla's fault. Starla totally, totally wrenched you on your knee on that. Love one. It. That was fabulous, dear friends. Uh, stay tuned during the next month or so. We will continue with updates on John, Chris, Veronica, and Starla's progress. Uh, Jared and I will make sure that we keep you abreast of all the developments and updates as we come along. In the meantime, if you're prepping for NanoRama, we hope this was useful and beneficial to you. Uh, uh, feel free to drop comments, uh, your own suggestions for preparation on the posts. Um, and uh, just stay tuned because there's more awesomeness to come as the month unfolds. Jared, final thoughts or, or closing considerations? Uh, right. A lot, you guys. <laughs> right, like the wind. Uh, right. You, you totally do this. All, all four of you and everyone who's listening really do it. Um, I I failed at NaNoWriMo twice, and then the third time I got it done in two weeks. So you, here, here. you, you can do it. Do it. Bam. Absolutely. You definitely, definitely can. Uh, uh, it's been done by many, many before you, and it will be done by many after you. So join in the fun, commit to what you're doing, and and make it real. Make an, bring a new story into the world. Uh, until next time, friends, thank you so much for tuning in. We will touch base with you again very, very soon. Until then, take care, stay cool, be frosty, and we will talk to you soon. Bye-bye. You just heard part four of this four-part NaNoWriMo podcast. Thank you to all our participants, Veronica Giger, Starla Hutchton, John Miro, and Christopher Morse for bringing their creative insights to the table and supporting each other in the preparation for the challenges of NaNoWriMo. And special thanks to Jared Axelrod for co-hosting this unique podcast experience. To all our guests and to everyone out there participating in NaNoWriMo, we wish you every success in achieving your goals and bringing your unique stories to life. Thanks for tuning in.